Hello, welcome to the LifeBridge podcast. We exist to practice the way of Jesus, participating in God's kingdom coming in Dover as it is in heaven. My name is Tyler Saldana and I'm the pastor of our church community. We are so grateful that you're checking out our church's podcast. We pray that the Spirit uses this podcast to encourage you in your following of Jesus. the gals up and Jay so Kathy uh, Kathy Melissa Jay and Rhonda uh, this morning yeah in lieu of a message we are going to hear uh, what God's been doing the last couple years through the ministries of uh, threads and beneath the shade and um, some of us know snapshots of the story and some of us maybe know a lot more than others but we thought it'd be a great time to to share uh, in totality as much as we could. It may go a little long, but we do encourage you that, I, we do think this will be encouraging for us. Uh, we talk a lot about here about, um, you know, that the gospel, and, and, and even this last week in small groups, that the story of the Bible is about God reuniting heaven and earth, the kingdom coming here on earth as it is in heaven. Um, and so the gospel not being so much about getting people to go to heaven, uh, but more about, of, more about God reuniting with his people because of the finished work of Jesus and that we get to be a part of that now. And so we, that's why we say in Dover as it is in heaven, we want to be a part of seeing God's kingdom coming here in our streets, in our homes, in our neighborhoods, in our communities and see where he's doing it and grab a shovel and join in. And I think the cool thing is we're going to hear some stories about how some people saw that. They got a glimpse of the kingdom coming, and they thought, I'm going to pick up a shovel, or quite a bit of tools in the Yoder's cases. But anyways, so we're going to have a little conversation and just sharing their stories. So um, yeah, why don't we give it up for them? How are we doing, Melissa? I'm good. Oh, okay, okay. <laughs> Melissa's well, a little nervous. It's okay. Oh, okay. Good, good, good. That's great. Um, so we've got two mics there to pass around just so people can hear. So as we talk through, we can pass those. And I guess we could pass ours too. But Okay. Well, I'm going to defer to Kathy here because Kathy's been along for a while. And I'm sorry if I'm blocking you, Gary. Um, but Kathy, why don't you share with us well, why don't you introduce everyone, just so for the people who may not know everyone on this stage. Um, I think everyone, pretty much everyone's familiar, but so my name's Kathy Neal, and um, I help run Beneath the Shade, and this is Jay Yoder and Rhonda Yoder, and they're married, and they're awesome, <laughs> and um, they are just our ministry partners, um, and have just have been a huge part of this. And then Kathy Rosenthal, um, she was our first awesome person, MVP at Beneath the Shade, and um, I've known her for a while prior to that. And then Melissa, um, May Comber. Um, so this is us. Thanks for being here and listening to this today. Um, well, um, Okay, so Kathy, why don't you share with us just an overview of, started with Threads a few years back, mm -hmm. share the story of Threads, how it got started, and how it turned into Beneath the Shade. Yeah, so I was not here when it started. There are a few people here that more than that uh, were here when it started. Um, that was our uh, first pastor's kind of uh, baby, mm -hmm. and so Chet um, had the idea, and it has changed some since he started it, as most projects do. Um, but I feel like um, Threads all the way along has, has the purpose of the store, the mission of the store, has been to fulfill our church's purpose, which is to know, love, and follow Jesus and to love our neighbor as ourselves. Um, I started managing the store in 2018 and... Um, just really saw my role as an opportunity to really engage with volunteers who were coming in, and there were a good number of women 
that um, Julie Schneider had actually kind of started this process of um, stopping into the Harbor House, which is our local residential um, treatment center, and bringing those women over to help do community service hours. And so I continued those relationships. And um, so, yeah, Ruth and I know Betty was a part of that in the beginning, lots of hours of helping. Um, and Shirley um, has spent a lot of time in the store. Um, and Linda and Rhonda are currently volunteers and help us a ton. So um, it's just, it's an amazing little store. Like um, people come in and it, our prices are really low on purpose. And um, so we have lots of Guatemalans that come in and um, our goal and Melissa's goal when people come down the stairs is to greet them and ask them how they are and um, just make sure that people feel loved when they come in the store. And so, um, so then beneath the shade um, is a sober living um, house. It is obviously faith-based and um, it very much came out of threads. Like it, the story of Beneath the Shade is very connected to threads for me. Um, who dreamt it up? Who dreamt up? Or who, who started, I feel like you both had together? Or Beneath separate? the Shade? Oh, it was mainly her? Okay. Yeah, I mean, Jay, they'll, they can talk about that a little bit more, but um, yeah, we, that was kind of a, a, just through my volunteering and seeing the need that women were entering treatment and not, did not have anywhere safe to go afterwards, um, that many of the women that I talked to and developed relationships with, I knew they wanted to stay sober. Um, but by the end of their treatment time, which sometimes was only 30 days, it's just not long enough to develop any kind of um, healthy habits. So I just saw a big hole in, the, in our community that, that we needed something that was like the space in between um, that would provide a safe place. So, To, be, to clarify, just I, I'm unfamiliar. I, I'm assuming it's similar to forgive me if I'm making an unfair comparison, but uh, similar in the vanity of um, like when people leave prison or, or jail, it's kind of like if they just go out, they're left, and then if they, they might go right back into the community that they were part of. So, I mean, so this is meant to provide a place to help them not go back to the only place where you're welcome to, yeah, right? Okay. Yeah, I mean, that, that term, the halfway house, is halfway like yeah you're in between and it's definitely very helpful for you're in one environment and learning how to be in this other bigger world yeah, yeah. well uh, am I did you have more there or no, no. okay well how has uh, LifeBridge here the church community here how have they affected your journey uh, personally and just even as threads uh, and and beneath the shade unfolded. Yeah, um, I LifeBridge has been um, super transformative for me. I feel like we um, this church has you know varied in size since I started coming uh, in 2015, but it's never been a huge church and. Um, I grew up in the church. My parents uh, were missionaries, but this is the first church that I've ever felt at home. And I think part of that is because whoever was here, Chet in the beginning, and then just whoever happened to be in leadership throughout the time gave me an opportunity to serve in a different way than I think I had been given in other churches. And so I you know, got to stand in the front and share little things here and there, and that helped me grow in confidence, and um, I just, it, I was in the middle of um, going through a divorce when I first started coming here and was a complete mess in every way, and um, I just, I would slip in and slip out in the beginning and slowly would stay for lunch once in a while and start to develop relationships, and um, so, yeah, it's been an amazing part of my personal journey. And actually, Susanna was um, 
I, the first person who asked me to do something, she asked me to go to dinner with her and her daughter and a couple other people. And um, Patty, that. who did we go? We got we went to see something, a comedian or a Christian comedian. Do you remember that? Yeah. <laughs> so I was just, just Susanna's kindness is, is something that um, meant a lot to me at the beginning. So, um, and then, you know, I mean, threads and I... I was working at a farm and didn't really have a job, and Jet had been asking me for a while to manage the store, and so finally I said yes. <laughs> and um, so that, you know, just my healing is just, it's just been a part of like LifeBridge has been part of my life. I spend a lot of time in this church building every week. Uh, sometimes I feel like I should just move my bed in and hang out. Um, but um, yeah, I'm very, very, very grateful for it this church and for everyone in it. It does, it does seem like, oh. Oh no, okay, there we go. It does seem like you're at home here. Kathy and I are on opposite ends of the spectrum of wearing feet, in, uh, shoes in indoor places, so. Uh, <laughs> anyways. I usually am barefoot and. Yeah. Yes, yes, even outdoor. Yes. Anyways, um, it's yeah. No, it's been a joy to to have those little fun battles with you. Is there one nugget? Yeah, one thing that you think God has shown you in the few years in this this journey so far? Um, yeah. Yeah, I just wanted to share this one story, and I hope that it is encouraging. Um, Beneath the Shade has been an interesting and difficult journey in many ways. It's been amazing as well. But it's been, everything about it has been new and um, it's just been a lot. So um, I want to tell you about a hot tub that showed up at the house a few weeks ago. Um, so I'm gonna preface that by some Bible verses and then we're gonna talk about the hot tub. <laughs> Um, so 2 Corinthians 5, 14 to 15 says, For Christ's love compels us, because we are convinced that one died for all, and therefore all died. And he died for all, that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. Romans 8, 38 to 39 says, For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. And the last one is Ephesians 3.20. Now to him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think, according to the power that works in us, which is, of course, the Holy Spirit himself. So my, one of my team members, um, Kat, called me, and I was sitting here in the office. She was at the house, and she said, hey, uh, there's a hot tub that just got delivered. What do I do with it? Or what do I tell them to do with it? And I said, excuse me? What do you mean there's a hot tub that just got delivered? What are you talking about? I was just completely confused. Why would there be a hot tub at the house? Um, so, the backstory is that I have, uh, well, in October 2020, I went to, on a trip to Utah. And um, on the way there, or on the way back, I stopped in Colorado to see my friend Karen, who's a high school friend. And she has a hot tub in her little, like, side yard. And it's like a blow-up one or something, not one of the more expensive ones, but, you know, it, it works. So we were sitting in it, talking late at night and enjoying, you know, relaxing. And I just, I started, I was, of course, talking about the house. And I just was like, oh, you know, Karen, it would be so amazing if we could have a hot tub for the house. I immediately followed that with, but that... I think people would think that's extravagant. Like, this is a sober living house, you know, like, we really, you know, we should just, should just be bare bones, like, I don't know. I, but I didn't think that. I think it's very appropriate for this amazing 
thing to be it's at the house. But I was just feeling hesitant and whatever. And she said, no way. Like, it's totally appropriate. I think it's an amazing idea. And she said, this hot tub has saved my marriage. We have all our best talks in this hot tub. So um, then anyway, I came back from that trip and just. So I missed the left button. <laughs> Happy <laughs> um, anyway, so on and off over the past couple years, I have prayed for a hot tub. Not like a lot, but just on and off. And then I just, I don't know, I don't know. The last few months, I have more often prayed for a hot tub. Like, it just came into my mind more often. Like, there was some sort of prompting, uh, I think. So, we had a prayer walk, and I, well, Melinda and I had walked, and I had shared it with her, and we walked around and prayed in, at the spot where we thought the hot tub should go. We were just like, well, you know, we're just going to ask, so, like, why not? And then, so we had this prayer walk, and we prayed again with this group of people, and um, then that next week is when the hot tub showed, was it the next day? The, yeah, so this hot tub showed up the next day. And um, obviously it may have been someone that, was, that came to the prayer walk and heard this request and responded to what God had asked them to do. But for me, it doesn't matter. Like, it's this incredible, incredible gesture of God's lavish love like we do not need a hot tub we don't need a hot tub we don't have a van yet and we actually need a van we that would be nice if we had a van for the house but this is how God works like he lavishes us with things to show us that he adores us and for me the hot tub which is not set up yet um, but this is that's what that symbolizes for me and especially for these women who have been through so much pain in their lives i'm like even more even more these women deserve to have a place to rest and relax and enjoy and laugh and rest their muscles like their physical bodies i think it's just perfect i think this is god saying you deserve this i love you you're my daughters i want to take care of you so that's that's the hot tub story. Thank you. <laughs> that's great. Uh, well, thank you, Kathy. Um, we're going to turn to Jay and Rhonda just for a bit. Um, so you guys come into this story at a different point, and not directly, right? Um, so not directly connected to Kathy initially. So yeah, you guys were out in Dundee, and this became a family uh, endeavor, right? So why don't you guys tell us how you, how God led you to get involved with Beneath the Shade? I'm assuming most of you know where Dundee is. It's not very far, actually. Um, it's in the country about 12 miles from here. And uh, back when we started coming to LifeBridge, uh, 10 years, something like that, 10 to 12 years, Obviously, we became involved in a lot of things. Um, there was food pantry, um, taking dinner to the homeless shelter. Uh, we have prayer meetings here. So we're making four to six trips to Dover every week. And I have a specific card that I use for gas, and that's sort of how I keep track of how much I spend for gas. And so we're looking at this, and, and it's you know plenty high, which... That was a couple years ago. That's not today. So, uh, so that's sort of what ins motivated me as a missionary. And as LifeBridge started, they said, we are here to affect the community. And I just felt, as a family, we can't do that how we'd like to do that living 12 miles away. So that inspired the thoughts of moving to Dover. And how... How has uh, your family gotten involved? I, I saw pictures. You guys have some pictures, yes? Uh, and they look yeah, quite a bit younger. Uh, I didn't know them at that age, definitely. Um, I didn't know 
Ben looked that way when he was younger. <laughs> no, I'm joking. <laughs> but uh, yeah, your whole family got involved right from the start. Um, so yeah, how, how has this been for your family? How, how did it, how did they take it? We're moving closer to the, for you guys, this is the city. I know we come from different <laughs> ends, but um, it's a super populous area. Uh, but yeah, how, how did they take that and, and just getting involved in the project? Yeah, so I'm not a city guy, like I, and I would call this a city, but this is actually, and it's actually, now that I am here, it's not that big. So you can almost know all the people in Dover. So I understand it is you, not a You city. probably already do, huh, Jay? <laughs> no. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so, but I didn't want to necessarily live in, on a, on a block, or in a, what do you call a town, a house with a... Like a neighborhood, a suburb? No, just actual space, a lot. Okay, like a, a, got it. Uh, whatever. Didn't want to be uh, confined to, to yes. lot lines. So yeah. I wanted some space. And so when I started looking for listings, I looked at uh, lot size um, and where it's located. I obviously wanted to be close in town, and so you can't expect a big lot right in town. So, and I didn't do a whole lot of searching. I would do on Sunday afternoons, uh, I think it was Zillow that I started looking for a spot. And uh, I have a picture, Anthony, if you have, of what I first remember seeing on Zillow. It's on the email. Uh, not that one. It's, um, it, the house wasn't very attractive, but what hit, or what I noticed was its size. Uh, it had plenty of space. And it was close to our price range that we had thought. It was a little high, but I thought, you know what? I wish I would have personally journaled a little bit as I saw that listing and as I almost felt like, you know what? This is the place. But um, the house didn't look like what we wanted. Um, and sorry, I should leave you some space to say, there, that's pretty much what you saw when you looked at the, at the, at the site. And um, so, yeah, that's how it looked. That's actually the front of the house, which is now the back of the house. If you go back far enough, I've talked to some historian neighbors there that have shared uh, the story of the property. Did you answer? How, how have the kids enjoyed it? Well, it seems like they're on board, but maybe we should have asked them. I might let... Morgan saying no. <laughs> no. <laughs> I might let Rhonda share what she said or what she thought when yeah. we first toured it with uh, Jan. Yeah, because you're the dreamer, and Rhonda, you're a little more like, Jay, yeah. what are we doing here? We can't get a hot tub. <laughs> like... It's, yeah, Jay is definitely the visionary of the two of us. Um, I, I have to say it took me a bit to get on board with his vision. Um, obviously now it all makes sense, but at the time I was, I was pretty happy living in Dundee. And um, family. Yeah, yes. we yeah. had a Yoders. beautiful family. house that yeah. my dad built, and yeah. I was very reluctant, to say the least. Um, to leave that, um, and then I, I definitely knew I didn't want to move into that house. <laughs> um, uh, so yeah, there was just a lot of uncertainty, and this was obviously way, be I mean, there was no beneath the shade or nothing like that at all. Um, so yeah, there was just a, a letting go of what I thought it was gonna be like and being willing to go on this adventure. How did breaking it to the kids or getting them involved, how did that look? Did you just take them out there and tell them to dream or, or what? Um, I think young ones are a little easier or to get on board. Uh, or they seemed very, they didn't share a whole lot of emotions or thoughts. Um, I don't think, right? well, you, you were hesitant a little bit. Yeah, go ahead, Morgan.
That's great, yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's great. Um, how uh, how did the vision turn from m new house property moving closer to the city um, to beneath the shade? Where did this come in? Uh, yeah, so it was backyard blasts. Obviously, when we decided not to live there, mm -hmm. and uh, so I had to think, well, I need to do something with it. And uh, so I started noticing or who could use a place to stay. And Kathy was heavily involved with threads and lived in Stone Creek or Bakersville. And um, so it's like 40, 35 minutes from here. So I thought of her right away. And it was one of those backyard blasts that we have that I just in passing asked her if she had considered moving closer to Threads or to LifeBridge, and she said yes. But I had no idea uh, what she had in mind, and so it was she invited us to dinner, and we got to talk about this a little bit. And uh, then she shared how she was involved with Harbor House and the ladies and, and all this and presented uh, a sober living facility. Oh, so you presented it, Kathy. You made the pitch at a back. This is why we do. This is why Rachel organizes backyard blasts for these meeting, these pitch meetings around the table, going on. That's great. Uh, <laughs> okay, so you guys eventually connect. This is what year? This is like 2018, 2017. Uh, 2019. 2019. Yeah, it's okay. Three years ago. That's yeah. so. The one question: What was the hardest thing in the last three years? Yeah, what was the hardest thing? Well, obviously, fixing up the property, which you probably saw some of the pictures, I would say that's where all our time was. Like Morgan said, every Saturday we spent here. Isn't it amazing that God gives me, I think, the strongest guy in Tuscarawas County, and he also gave me a construction guy and two ladies that love to uh, clean up, and, and a wife, too, that... Uh, she watched fixer-upper shows. I mean, this was just down her alley of fixing up a place. So uh, it was incredible. So, but that was, I think, the hardest thing was getting the place ready. Um, and when we decided to move, obviously, is when to sell, uh, where to live until we have a place to stay. I just, I mean, I have, I have said, I think, this, but I was... I got to watch these kids. You guys are amazing. And Ashley's not here, no? I, She's like, out working they at the would, shade. They would just work so hard, and then all of a sudden, take off on the four-wheeler, take a break, have some fun, then come back to work. I mean, like, it was just an honor for me to watch you guys, so. It's, uh, God is amazing in how he's working in your lives, but then the reflection of him is also all encouraging. Like, it's, it's just incredible. How, uh, how have you both grown in your relationship with God in this season, seeing him yeah, working in and through you guys like this? Um, some of the things that I've learned that God has grown in my life is um, obviously letting go uh, as Kathy presented this thing about the property, um, I struggle with thoughts of, okay, how does this work? Um, this is something I'll have to give up. Uh, and uh, I think personally, I don't know for, who, for those who have not yet been there, you need to come. When we have a prayer walk, there's trails through the woods, and you'll really get to see what nature lover paradise it is. And uh, if you look on Facebook, there's amazing pictures of what they've done. And so letting go was one of the best things or th that I think that's been happening in my life. And also, blessings that God gives me are not meant for me alone, but for others. And so I think that's why people gives us hot tubs, gives us places like this, is so that we can bring others and... Uh, have them experience Jesus with us. Because uh, obviously I, I like the property, I like the barn as a visionary. I see that barn with 
nice black windows, incredible siding, and all this potential. And uh, I was thinking, you know, all I can do is store my lawnmower, my garden tools, my tractor, and it just benefits me. And so uh, as, as somebody that vision-oriented, I see, you know, a long, now I see, letting go of it, I see a long Thanksgiving table. I mean, with just many testimonies of people experiencing Jesus. So uh, that's letting go was one of the biggest things. Um, and I also, this has nothing to do with Beneath the Shade, but letting go of our church, LifeBridge. Because it's funny, we prayed for possibly eight years to move to Dover, and it wasn't until Pastor Chet leaves that it sort of rocked our boat, and we said, okay, now is the time. So I don't know, how, I don't understand how God works and how he leads you to do make decisions and when, but um, so I had to let go of LifeBridge because it is no longer what I, I think it's better. God let go of things so it can get better. Um, what, about, what about you, Rhonda? How have, how have you grown? How have you seen God over you in this time? Um, so I think it was a way for Jesus' words in Matthew 6 to become real to me where he talked about um, you know, our Heavenly Father already knows all of our needs, and he will give us what we need from day to day if we make his kingdom our primary focus. Um, obviously, this was a, a huge financial undertaking for us, which um, for me was, I, I can worry about things like that. Um, and I've told Jay already, I can't believe um, what a freedom I felt from that, um, not worrying about those things as much anymore in having seen how God has just provided time and time again for us and also for the needs of Beneath the Shade in so many ways. Um, so that has been one, one way. All right. Well, we're going to keep moving here. Um, so, Kathy. Um, how many months sober do you have? Okay, I'm going to cry through this whole thing. <laughs> <laughs> Just so you know, get your t tissues out. Mine fell in my coffee, now I can't drink <laughs> my coffee. <laughs> um, right now I have 11 months clean and sober, July 4th. I will have a year. So July 4 is Kathy's year, and maybe tell us just a little bit about why that's such a big deal. Uh, well, I've been in and out of rehabs my whole life, and um, never was able to string any time of sobriety together. Um, here at LifeBridge, when I hit my five months, we had a celebration because that was the longest I think I've ever, that was the longest time I could manage to put together. A year <laughs> didn't even seem fathomable to me, um, but through Jesus <laughs> and this program beneath the shade, this church, the people that I've surrounded, that have surrounded me, um, have just carried me right through, and um, yeah, it's big. It's big. It's big. Yeah. Um, so tell us the story of how you ended up at Beneath the Shade. Um, well, I had met Kathy in one of the rehabs that I was in, um, and like I said, I always went back to using. So um, I also used to lie continuously. Um, I lied about my sobriety to everybody. Um, I was hiding from myself and from others. I did not want, 
I wanted you to look at me and love me and appreciate me and, oh, look how good she's doing. But in reality, I was a mess. And um, so Kathy kept, I mean, you, when you're in active use, you, um, you know, especially with me trying to pretend like I wasn't using, so I'm trying to keep up for relationships, and I'm trying to keep my family relationships. So I would reach out to Kathy. Kathy would reach out to me. Then it got fewer and fewer and fewer times I was reaching out to Kathy because I was lying constantly. And, you know, that guilt and that shame lays on you, even though you justify it in your mind. Um, so, life was continuing for me. Of course, I was out of the lying stage. I was just using, and everybody knew it. Um, and I accepted that fate in my life. I had come to terms with, I'm 50-some years old, and this is how my life's going to be. So, I'm going to live it the way I want to live it, and so be it. Well, Kathy kept reaching out, and um, I would ignore her. I would hide from her. But I had an apartment and um, had just quit a job, and I went downhill with my alcoholism pretty bad. I couldn't leave my apartment some days. Um, is that <clears throat> Lived in my bedroom, in bed, drinking constantly. Some days couldn't even brush my teeth or take a shower. And we all know how I like to look good. <laughs> so that was really like saying to myself, looking in that mirror and going, oh my gosh, Kathy, what are you doing? And after about three months of that, um, I finally reached out to her and another lady, Julie, and said, I need some help. So we got my, me into a detox. And when I came home from detox, that evening, um, I went seeing my sister. And um, I said, you know what? Now that I got all that alcohol out of my system, I can just use every once in a while again. How crazy is that? That's alcoholism um, and addiction in your life. So I went home that night and got drunk. And the cycle started again, of course, for another two weeks. And I reached back out and I said, okay, we got to come up with a plan this time. Get me back into detox and then get me into somewhat. <laughs> So we came up with a plan as we went. But Kathy, you know, when she came to pick me up from that, no, I did not come home from that detox. We, I told the counselors, get me to a rehab directly. Take me right there. Well, they sent me up to Lake Erie to some place that had like 50 women, and I was like freaking out. And I was like, this is not what I expected. And I called my sister. My sister called Kathy. Kathy came and got me the very next morning. And on our way back, I'm thinking, okay, I'm going back to my apartment. Well, we all know Kathy. She's like, no, you're not. You're coming out to beneath the shade. And at this point, I'm at my lowest. So I'm like, you know what? I don't care. Let's just try this. And so Kathy took me to Beneath the Shade, and then we called a rehab, and I waited at Beneath the Shade while I got into a rehab. And when I came back out, that's where I came, to Beneath the Shade, because I knew that morning going to the rehab, I stood up in my room and took Jesus into my life, because I said, I can't do this no more. It's you. You can do it. And if you can, here I am. So that's how I got to be in this shape. Yeah. 
Yeah, it's pretty amazing how God works. God had prompted me the same morning. Just, I don't know, I just felt like, oh, I need to ask Kathy if she's actually really just kind of said to God, will you be a part of my life? Like whatever that question is when we invite him into our hearts. And it's just funny, she had just kind of had that conversation with God and I walked into the room and she's like, well, I just did that. <laughs> so that was just pretty awesome. Um, so, <laughs> so, um, if you can tell us, just to give some context a little bit, um, when did drugs and alcohol first become an issue in your life? Very, very young. My father introduced me to alcohol um, in my bottle, my mother told me. So um, at the age of two, three. Um, and then I, and it was revelant. I mean, my father was an alcoholic. So um, at the age of eight, I began seeking on my own. I would go to like campfires. Um, you know, when we would go on camping trips with my sister and her husband and kids, and I would go around the campfire at night when the guys were sitting there drinking and offer them a back rub for some of their beer. And I started pursuing it on my own, and it became my identity. It became my life. Um, because at height, it hid all those insecurities, all those... Um, fears and hurts that I had at, and continued to accumulate as I got older. Um, because once you find that alcohol or that, uh, that drug, um, it's an easy way out, you think at first, but it consumes you. Yeah, um, so that's part of what you've learned about why you went to drugs and alcohol for comfort, like to, was to com hide from mm -hmm. the things that were going on in your life and in your mind and in your yeah. emotions. and Yeah, and just not, as, you, as I grew up with the alcohol in my life, I didn't, I didn't learn how to deal with life. Um, and I came from a, um, you know, my mother and father were divorced young. My siblings were all, older than me, and so they were already having their family, so I was kind of like a little lost sheep. I always thought I was adopted, um, because everybody, you know, they lavished me, but they had their own lives going on. So, um, and mom worked constantly, so um, I was passed around. Um, so I used the alcohol and drugs to fill up all those voids that I wasn't getting. There is a lot more to Kathy and Melissa's story. So I actually do encourage you if you have questions or things that um, they're both willing to share. And so after, you know, when you run into them uh, next Sunday or whatever, to ask them questions and have them to share more. Because we can't really, we can't touch on very much today. Um, so why do you think God is the, is the thing that, finally helped you get sober and want to actually live because you know as you said you had you had pretty much decided to give up like this is all I can be I'm 50 some years old I'm just gonna be a drunk that's what you had decided yep. um, because I tried everything in my power and um, look where it got me <laughs> but it got me to God so I don't know his I didn't know his plan. I didn't really know God. I used him for the 911 calls and, you know, cursed him for what he did in my life. But God, that morning that I took him into my life, it was like a relief. It was like, I don't got to do this no more. I can't do this no more. So... He has just shown me so much love and mercy with the people that he's put in my life. Jay and Rhonda and the kids and my family. 
and you and this church family and the people that work for Beneath the Shade, I just can't give him enough glory. I just can't. And I forgot the question. <laughs> Something that goes with old age, I guess. <laughs> That's all right. You answered it. Okay. <laughs> so, all right. Thank you. <laughs> all right. Hi. Melissa. <laughs> so, I hope everyone's hanging in there. We'll, we're in our last stage here, and I think that you'll find Melissa's story engaging as well. Um, so, how did you end up at Threads? I wanted to get out of rehab for a day. <laughs> so, I was at Harbor House, and Kathy would come, was it every other Wednesday or once a month, and she, I thought she was a chef, because she would come and she would cook with us. So she'd bring all the ingredients and she would teach us how to make a meal. And somebody had mentioned that they did their community service here and I didn't have community service, but eventually I spoke up and said, I would really like to, if I could, go there. Anything to get me out of this house. <laughs> I did not look forward to it because I was like going through people's clothes and, but it got me out of the house, so. <laughs> um, so, Tell us a little bit about your story. You're from Cleveland. I am yeah. a big city, a real big city. <laughs> That's a city, Jay. <laughs> this is country to me. Yeah. Um, yes, so I was born in Cleveland to obviously my mother, but my stepdad, um, who was an alcoholic, um, a drug addict, and abusive. Um, and, um, but not to me, I was the baby, so um, I got everything that I wanted, um, at least from him, um, until I got pregnant at 12 years old, um, and was no longer his baby, so I had my first child when I was 13. Um, when I was 15, I got taken away from my parents and put in foster care, which is how I wound up in this area. Um, on a farm in Stone Creek with cows and chickens and ducks. Oh my. Um, <laughs> I had never seen a farm animal in real life until I was 15 years old. I mean, I understood they were there, but I'd only ever seen them in books and movies. Um, and coming, it was at the time, obviously, no child wants to be taken away from their parents. Um, but it was a blessing. Um, getting pregnant at 12, I was in seventh grade, and I dropped out of school. So this gave me the opportunity, um, I had amazing foster parents, and this gave me the opportunity to go back to high school. So I've never went to seventh grade, I never went to eighth grade, but Ridgewood allowed me to test into high school. So I got to complete high school in three years, um, I got to move on and go to college, and I have my associate's degree in nursing. Um. <laughs> yes, so that's a little bit of Melissa. Yeah, yeah, you do, you were blessed with an amazing foster family. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, so you already mentioned that you met me when you were in rehab. Yes. Um, so just maybe tell us a little bit about how, how did you ended up, why did you end up in rehab? What had happened in your life? Um, okay, that you so that? Um, again, I'll try and make it small. Um, so my first encounter with any kind of drug was when I was 12. My stepdad was one of those parents. I don't, if you've never heard of a parent similar to my stepdad, some people have, but um, you know, those parents who want you to try it with them so that you don't get something that would be bad for you. Try drugs with me <laughs> so you don't get bad drugs. Um, so that's how my stepfather was. So if you wanted to drink, if you wanted to try any type of drug, he wanted you to come to him and do it with him. So he smoked marijuana with me for the first time when I was 12. Um, but I 
was the good kid, believe it or not. Having a baby at 13, I was still the good kid. I did not enjoy it. I did not enjoy when he would give me something to drink or when he would want to smoke with me. Um, but um, once I moved down this way, um, I had smoked marijuana a couple times with some other foster kids. Again, it wasn't something that I enjoyed. Um, I didn't really pick it up until college. Um, on a daily basis. Um, it helped to calm my mind and my grades, believe it or not, shot up. I could focus on what I was studying for and um, I no longer was nervous during my tests. I felt prepared. So I convinced myself that it was something I should do daily. So um, in college I drank, but I don't feel like I overdid it. Um, just on weekends with my friends, but never on a daily basis. Um, I tried all kinds of pills, um, cocaine, um, acid with my mom, to actually. Um, that was my bachelorette party. Um, but I had tried things, just tried them, and nothing, nothing felt good, nothing that I wanted to do on a regular basis. Um, had... I had back surgery when, um, in 2014, um, and I could no longer work as a nurse um, because of the injury to my back and then the back surgery that I had. Um, and my mom was diagnosed with cancer. I moved from Ohio to South Carolina. And when I was in Ohio, um, I was prescribed Dilaudid, very strong pain pill for those of you who don't know. And when I moved to South Carolina, I went through withdrawals. Um, it's not something that you should just stop on your own. Um, and my mom would give me some of her medication to help with my withdrawals from, I couldn't get into the pain clinic down there. I probably could have if I would have worked hard enough, but I didn't want to work hard at it. My mom was giving them to me and that, that turned into me stealing them from her. After my mom passed away, my stepdad gave me what she had left. Um, we moved back to Ohio in 2016, and I had nothing to continue to numb me or to make me feel good. Um, I started um, using cocaine here and there. Because um, if I look back now, I was extremely depressed and I needed something to give me energy, something to make me want to do things. Um, and somebody gave me that. They gave me methamphetamines and that was the best thing <laughs> I had ever put in my body at that moment. I wanted to do everything. I wanted to finish projects. I wanted to spend time with my family. I didn't want to sleep. I just wanted to go, go, go. And I craved it for three years until I had absolutely nothing left. Nobody, nothing. And I wound up in jail. And from jail, which absolutely saved my life, to rehab. In that time you shared too, where were your kids? My kids were with me until 2018. Okay. So I started using methamphetamines late 2016. Um, it didn't become regular on a daily basis, probably till halfway through 2017. Okay. Um, and then March of 2018, my kids got taken away from me. And that's just a little bit before you go to jail, right? I went to jail or in March of 2019. So my kids were living with my daughter for a year before I went to jail. Okay. So, um, before we get to the next question, I, you were telling me the other day, actually a story I had never heard before, 
And so now, as you look back, uh, we were talking about how you see, you can see God looking back in your life, like the threads of him showing up. Yeah. So I actually would like for you to share the story of the gentleman who picked you up at the McDonald's. Okay. Yeah. Um, so after my kids got taken away, um, a couple months later, I became homeless. Um, and one of the ways I was telling Kathy that God showed up is, though I was homeless, I always had a place to rest my head. Always. Um, and there was a day, I was, it was middle of summer, I was walking for hours. If I had to guess, I'd say five, six hours in 90 degree weather. And I had nowhere to go. I wound up in Coshocton and uh, found myself dehydrated, exhausted, and laying in a field because I couldn't bring myself to get up. Um, I seen a McDonald's and decided if I went there, I could ask them to call me an ambulance. At least I would get something to eat, something to drink, and I would be cool. When I tried to open the door to the McDonald's, it was closed. There was a gentleman exiting his car, and he had asked me, you know, if I needed anything, and I had let him know that I was trying to get somebody to call me an ambulance so that I could go to the hospital because I had been walking all day. I knew I needed fluids. Um, and he asked me if I would like to go with him to a hotel. His girlfriend had gotten drunk and was hitting him and like a fool, I now think I got in the car with this stranger who took me to a gas station and bought me cigarettes and bought me pop and took me to Taco Bell and bought me food and took me to a hotel where I could shower and listened to me for hours, even though he had to be up at 4.30 in the morning to go to work. Thinking back, that could have been a horrible situation, but this man that God put there for me was an absolute blessing. I was, I heard him wrestle around at about 4, 4.30 in the morning, and I did get nervous. And this man came over, and he kissed me right on my nose. And he blessed me, and he left me $40 just in case I wanted to stay one more night somewhere safe. And that happened, not the hotel story, but situations like that happened to me the whole entire time I was homeless. There was always someone just when I thought, I can't go any further. There was always someone, a hotel room, a couch to sleep on, a meal. Yeah, the kindness of God is pretty incredible. Even in our midst of our mess, huh? Right. Yeah. A big one. Yeah, yeah. Um, so let's get to some good stuff. All right. Um, what has your personal growth looked like since you started working at Threads and Beneath the Shade? Just because I know that was a big right. change in your life after rehab. All right, so I told Kathy and Tyler this when I talked to them about today and kind of what these questions would look like. I am not very good at patting myself on the back. I'm just not. Um, so when I thought about it, obviously, as a parent, any of you who have children, getting my kids back was the best thing that has ever happened to me. My kids have been home for a year, and it is amazing. They have shown me so much grace. They really have. Um, one of the things that I told Kathy, I hadn't realized I had lost until I really missed it was my smile. If any of you ever see me in the store or see me in church, I always smile. If I'm not smiling, I'm having a bad day, a really bad day. Um, but I miss that, and I notice that's back. So that is definitely something that has returned since meth took it away from me. Um, 
everybody that doesn't know, or for those of you who don't know, I work at Threads um, and at Beneath the Shade. I am not working as a nurse. Um, even though Kathy encouraged me to do that, <laughs> don't give that up. <laughs> um, it made me kind of feel, I don't know, for better or for a better, I don't know what word to use. My word would be gross. It made me feel gross when I thought about going back to nursing. Like, I don't want to do that. Um, I want to help people, but I want to help them in a different way. Um, so since I've been at Threads and Beneath the Shade, I have, um, I have learned how to type, kind of. I do need to work on that. Um, I have created policies and procedures. I've created forms. I have stepped way out of my comfort zone. Um, being in the store is definitely my cup of tea. I love people, I love talking to people. Um, so yeah, I mean, thanks to Kathy for being the only person who would believe in me and the only person who would give me a job when I looked for months and was turned away every time that felony showed up on my record. Thank you. So this is a big, I want you guys to know this is a big part of why threads is important, is even if it's just this one thing, like that I was able to give Melissa a job. She had faithfully volunteered, I mean, spent hours and hours sorting clothing, and just any time I called on her for help, she would give us extra help. And um, I just kept hearing her stories of, I applied at this place, and once they ran the background check, they said no. I mean, this happened over and over and over again, and I'm like, I'm seeing her work ethic and her desire to work, and I'm like, this is not fair. So we finally, yeah, just worked it out and tried it, and so it, I mean, you're amazing, and I'm Thank so you. grateful for you. Thank you. Work ethic-wise, too, when we talked, yeah, you're like, I don't want to pat myself on the back, and it is awkward. But we'll just say, yeah, we spring profits, what we figured out. You boosted sales almost 60% year-to-date since last year. Like, that's crazy, and that's partly due to your management and you taking that role uh, last fall, right? So uh, we attribute a lot of that to the hard work you've done. So you've grown a lot, we've seen, and it's paid off, too. So that's really cool. Thank you. Yeah, so the last question is, um, yeah, you have an interesting kind of journey with God and throughout your life, and I'd just like to have you tell us about you're, you know, you're currently, you're sitting on this stage, you're coming to church, yeah. your life has changed, and how did that happen? All right, so um, just real quick background, I did not come from a family, we did not attend church. Um, my mother told us growing up that religion was something that you chose an adult. As an adult, it was not something that should be pushed upon you by your parents. I don't know why she chose that, but that's how it was. Is this working? Yep. Okay. I feel like my ears are, oh, there we go. I felt like my ears were plugged. Um, so as, as far back as I can remember, I always talked about God and to God, even though I had never, he'd never been taught to me, talked about to me. Um, I just feel like it was something in me. I, I wouldn't call it praying, but anytime I had trouble, I just talked about it out loud, like having a conversation with nobody to answer it, but it felt right um, up until my mom passed away. I did not blame him. I did not ask him why. I just cut him out. I did not talk to him. I did not talk about him, and I did not feel him. Um, and that stayed that way until towards the end of my addiction when people started asking me what I believed. And I realized that I didn't know what I believed. I had no idea if I believed in him, if I believed in people in general. I mean, I was just in a really dark place. Um, and that question just kept on coming up. Do you attend church? Why don't you attend church? Don't you believe in God? What are you going to do when you die and Jesus is standing in front of you? My answer to that was, you are real because <laughs> I wasn't sure what to say when I was asked that question. Um, and 
Obviously, working with Kathy, you can't help but to hear about how amazing God is and all of the amazing things he does for us and through us. Um, but I think I still told Kathy all the time, I'm not sure. Until I met with Tyler. And Tyler left me, he never answered my questions 100%. Which is exactly why I'm sitting right where I am. Tyler left me needing to know, what does God look like to me? Who is he to me? What can he do through me and for me? Um, because that's a decision I have to make for myself. You, cannot, you can tell me what he does for you, but you can't tell me what he's going to do for me, how he's going to make me feel, and what my path walking with him is going to look like. And I craved to know, what does that look like? And I have been in church every Sunday, except for last Sunday, which I did watch it online, since the day that I met with Tyler, which I believe was a Tuesday, and that Sunday. And I, I was telling Kathy, Tuesday through Saturday, when my alarm clock goes off, I'm like, oh, I am not a morning person. I hit that snooze button once, twice, sometimes three times. On Sunday, I am out of bed. And I am tiptoeing around the house with a smile on my face, getting ready, trying not to wake up my kids, and super excited to get here. So, thank you to Kathy for always talking about him. Thank you to Tyler for... <laughs> making me wonder what this is. And thank you to all of you for making me feel so welcome in my home. That sounds like a perfect ending. Thanks for tuning in to the LifeBridge podcast. For more information about our church, please visit lifebridgedover.org. There you'll be able to find out more about the church community, our ministries, ways to get involved, recommended resources, and to give. Be sure to subscribe to receive new episodes directly into your podcast feed. While we are glad that you're checking out our podcast feed, we believe that the New Testament teaches that church worship is to be experienced weekly, in person, within your local church community. Thus, we encourage you to either join us in person for Sunday morning worship or to find and commit to a local gospel-centered church community in your neighborhood. Thanks.